Welcome to Herbal Explorations, a podcast hosted by Wilson Lau of New Herbs. Each week, we speak to leading experts about what's happening in the herbal industry. Welcome to another episode of Herbal Explorations. We're going to discuss the importance of herbal identity testing in the herbal supply chain with my longtime friend, Alan Sudberg, the CEO of Alchemist Labs. The biggest little lab in the dietary supplement industry. Uh, we literally started and grew up in the industry together. I'm so proud of all the things he's done on the identity testing front. Alan, tell us a bit about yourself and Alchemist. Sure. So uh, first, thank you, Wilson. Uh, great honor. And uh, you're right. We were both born into this industry. I think my first day was uh, as two cells and then four cells and then eight and so on. Um, uh, father was a chiropractor and acupuncturist and had a line of herbal supplements. So that was my, my foray into the industry. Um, but it's it, when I was about 17, we started doing some uh, testing for the supplements that he was making the tinctures, uh, and basically started a lab for our own manufacturing facility, which was very, very small scale. Um, nothing, um, nothing exciting. Um, and, uh, started to fail some incoming raw materials and our vendors asked questions and we answered them and then we got more questions and, and then they asked us, had us uh, test some samples and we sort of became a testing lab, uh, and pivoted, uh, a year or so afterwards. And, um, the tincture business is, doesn't exist. Just, we make it for ourselves in the background. But, uh, uh since then, um, 20, almost 25 years later, uh, I've got a little over 40 employees in a 21,000 square foot lab. Focusing on uh, plant and fungal identity, purity, and potency for the dietary supplement, pharmaceutical, psychedelic, you name it, industry. Yeah. Literally, I remember us uh, coming down, and it was just a really real family affair. Let's just put it that way. It was uh, – yeah. yeah. and now it's uh, multiplied and definitely still family-owned, yeah. and a lot of values are there, but – Correct. No longer the small, intimate company that we all started with. <laughs> Correct, exactly. It's uh, it's morphed a little bit, uh, but all in, all in good. It's, it's all it's all great. Yeah, let's get down to business. How important is the clarity and specs when it comes to plant identity testing? You know, like a lot of times I see things. You know, clients get things that are failed, but it could be just that they didn't submit the example right the properly right. For example. Right. If yeah. someone says, I want to test ginseng or ashwagandha, is that sufficient or do you need something like more detailed than that? Yeah. Well, so uh, plants uh, have friends and families, so different species. We always need the species. Um, specs are really important, though. Um, when we receive samples with no specs, we do ask the client for specs. When they don't have specs, that's very telling uh, where their kind of position is on um, GMPs because the last I heard, specs are pretty important. Uh, um, a lot of the industry, as you know, deals with extracts. And if you send us an extract, which is, you know, a chemical extraction of some sort of a plant, we need to know data on that. Because if you extract your ginseng on with uh, ethanol and water, and we don't know that, we can't compare it to the right stuff uh, and in turn it will fail. So specs are really critical for testing it the right way uh, and getting the answers that are, that are accurate. Um, a common problem uh, and common you see in the industry, the 43s and the warning letters are common for not having specs. Yeah, and I think it's clarity, right? It's when you test for something, do you want to test for the root, the root and the leaves or the leaves, right? Like, what the right. heck are we looking at? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Well, uh, ashwagandha is an example. Uh, you know, a lot of leaf material floats into the into the root material to uh, fortify the phytochemical profiles. But we've got really simple tests that differentiate between the two species or the two plant parts. Um, many folks don't realize that's what's happening. Um, good news is still the same plants, so you're not necessarily being adulterated with another species, but other plant parts uh, could be an issue if your label claim doesn't specify that. And it comes down to basically what are you putting in the label should match what's actually in the bottle. 
because um, otherwise you get in trouble. Yeah, it, it, it's a lot of the, it's also what you're paying for, right? Is And what is the intended purpose? Right. You know, if you're doing a standardized extract, maybe it doesn't matter what plant Correct. part it comes from. Correct. But if you're doing a more of a full spectrum approach, right. wow, you know, you, you got really different kind of Correct. efficacy. Right. And as long as the spec says that, I mean, some folks don't have uh, a concern over certain of plant parts, for example, um, or even, you know, dirt or filth that we see. There's acceptable limits of everything. Um, and some folks have specs for that. Some folks don't. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, what, going back to something slightly different, like, you know, what do you think is the importance of orthogonal testing to approach to identity testing? And, yeah. you know, what percentage you say the industry is doing a truly orthogonal approach to make sure we have what we have? Yeah, orthogonality is critical. Um, it's a phrase that I believe it comes from geometry, um, multifaceted, multi-sided, but uh, used in industry really means testing things multiple ways. So the orthogonal approach that we use uh, here is, you know, is identity with uh, macroscopy, looking at it with your eyes, which is how it was done originally. Um, mm -hmm. Organoleptic, uh, smelling and tasting, um, fracture, all that data goes into the macro identification. Um, microscopic analysis, looking at the cells under the scope, uh, under a microscope, and then uh, HPTLC, so looking at phytochemical profile. Uh, that orthogonal approach is really solid for identity of plants. You can take it further and add a, a fourth leg to the three-legged stool of orthogonal uh, orthogonality and do HPLC or GC and start measuring uh, particular compounds of interest that lead towards efficacious or uh, uh, efficacy. Uh, and then last, of course, you want to make sure there's no uh, heavy metals or poisons or pesticides or anything there. So the, the, the purity testing is that last but and really critical step to testing. Um, to answer your question, a lot of folks in the industry really stop with just the, they do the purity, making sure obviously it meets the specs for pesticides and metals, microbiological, which are, you know, those are the killers uh, uh, of those products. But they don't do a great job on identity and uh, potency. Um, so they do a very, very minimal uh, job of the, you know, some folks use things that are like, like tricorders, you know, cell phone based um, software uh, to scan things uh, that will give you uh, an identity um, data point, but not very accurate or reproducible. Um, so they have made sure the pesticides and metals are not too bad or the meat spec, and they've made sure it looks kind of like the plant that they're interested in. They leave it at that, but you're missing data on potency. How strong is it? What's the caffeine level in your green tea as an example? And then do you even have the right species? It um, doesn't matter about pesticides when you're basically selling the wrong species. So orthogonality is huge. Uh, it's something we've been following since the very beginning of, of our um, of the lab. Yeah, I was first exposed to that term by uh, Dr. Joseph Betts in one of his talks. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it makes a lot of sense, right? You got 80% certainty one method, 70% another. And right. now, you know, by doing these methods, you're sort of uh, buttressed your... Yeah. Um, certainty of certain of, about yeah. the identity and potency of a plant yeah. and talking about potency and identity you know how important do you think is the pair identity testing with potency testing meaning if we're looking at a chemical we're confirming there's caffeine sure. it meets the level of caffeine um yeah. that's required but heck do we know this caffeine comes from right. coffee green tea or whatnot so sure. is it something that you know people should, with extracts, should they always be looking at, you know, identity paired with efficacy or how is that dealt with? Sure. So I use the example uh, in this question is uh, you can take like a peach out of season 
you can go to Georgia in the summer and grow a peach, and that is the definition that's your standard of what a peach uh, should be, full of flavor. And the flavor is a chemical profile, which could be measured, but you measure it with your tongue and your brain, and you say this is a good peach. You then head over to a big box retailer in the winter and buy a peach, and the peach is bigger than normal and has a second peach inside of it, and it doesn't rot on your countertop for, for months. Uh, but technically, by genetic analysis, it is still a peach. But when you bite into it, it has a different flavor, different texture, and that's ultimately what you're seeking when you eat peach is not necessarily the nutrient content, but the flavor. And so um, if you only do identity and don't actually measure the phytochemical profile of your of your products, your plants, you could be selling kind of duds. Um, they could be, you know, legally allowed to be called whatever they're called, but are they good? And good could be defined in a number of ways if you know with, um, you know, efficacy and compounds. You brought up uh, caffeine from sources, you know, there's there's... Um, it's very difficult to determine where the caffeine in that example came from. Caffeine's in a few compounds or a few plants, so green tea, guarana, your mate. Um, and so, uh, you know, you could get a green tea extract that's fortified with synthetic caffeine. You can get a green tea extract, which is, uh, has the normal amounts of caffeine in there from the green tea. Um, as a chemist, I think caffeine is caffeine is caffeine. Uh, you know, it should be pure. It doesn't really matter where it comes from your labels should state where it comes from because you're being disingenuous if you're not uh, sharing that your caffeine was, uh, you know, if your material is fortified with caffeine. But good news, there are labs that can test um, synthetic versus natural uh, phytochemical profiles. Um, not something we do here at Alchemist, something we're looking into for uh, later um, expansions for sure. Um, that to me comes down to more of like a legal issue, whether you state that your stuff is synthetically um, uh, derived and fortified versus not. Um, as far as efficacy and safety, I, my my position as a chemist is that caffeine is caffeine is caffeine, regardless of where it comes from. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I agree that it looks the same structurally and everything else. I think the key is the labeling, right? It's like because most people, right, in our industry, we're selling supplements and not beverages necessarily. Right. We don't state there's 10 milligrams of caffeine. We usually state the right. source of the caffeine. Right. So. Like in your example, right, you can get sugars from a lot of different things or caffeines from a lot of different things. But, you know, if you put that on the label now, right. you got an identity issue, right? right. You're sure, you're, you're delivering the caffeine, but from a different source. And right. Right. it brings up different issues. So I think right. back to that, like you right. need to know the people who are providing you the ingredients and have traceability yeah. in the supply chain to know that the source is really, like right. you said, right. you know, green tea or coffee right. or whatever it is, and making sure that, you know, and testing is a way to verify the work right. you do right. before you receive the ingredient by the right. ingredient, right? Exactly. It's not a, it doesn't stand by itself, right? It's right. part of the whole puzzle. Correct, yeah, and you know, for, and for your case with a company, uh, like new herbs, I mean, your company stands on the foundation of thousands of years of data. Um, and so back when herbs were being, you know, explored and, and um, used, they weren't extracting one chemical from it uh, to the treat ailments. They were taking an extract or some sort of um, mixture and using all of the chemicals together. Um, for me, I can drink espresso right before bed and go right to sleep. But if I drink yerba mate before bed, I'll be up to, for hours. So it's not just caffeine that does the trick. It's the xanthine family in that example that keeps me up, whereas uh, coffee has less xanthine. So if you're focused on one particular compound in an extract, you, you're basically basically pharmaceuticalizing a plant, which is not bad. It's just not a sort of a the original way that herbal medicine was was um, brought to us, um, you know, as in your case with new herbs, thousands of years of traditional use. 
Yeah, I think a lot of it is just becomes, you know, are we talking about full spectrum and all the things out of the plant, right? right? And plants are so complex. Like if I said, hey, Alon, what's what's all the chemical constituents in ginseng? And, you know, despite, you know, almost 50, 60 years of scientific deep diving, we still haven't scratched the surface of every single component in Chinese ginseng. So I think there's, you know, it's whole plant, um, it's the usage of the application of the whole plant versus uh, more of a this constituent versus the biomedical approach, right? Right. And you know, even though Chinese herbs have been used for thousands of years, it's constantly evolving, right? Right. right? And and what I mean by that is, for example, you know, you might have noticed, like when we send stuff to you or stuff comes through your lab, it looks different than it looked five, ten years ago. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is, well, we no longer use sulfites. We no longer right. um, use other things, and we have better preservation technology. So we don't need to use sulfites. We don't need to cut it a certain way. We don't need to. So now it's a lot of it, you know, the way that we cut and process it is a little bit different than originally even 10, 15 years ago. Right. And, you know, so if you don't change your specs and you said you want Angelica sinesis slices, right. Right. And, and all of a sudden you're getting, you know, whole root or chunks. Right. Well, you, you, someone sh- it, it is the right thing, absolutely correct, but it doesn't meet your spec. And right. that's why it's, these specifications and quality systems and purchasing are living documents and that you always have to keep working on. And there's no such thing as a perfect solution. Right. And when you mentioned something that uh, triggered me for uh, your relationships, like you, when you have these specs, you have these relationships with vendors, whether it's your vendor supplying you the herbs, knowing that what you need and what, what is right for your company and also your testing lab, you know, the, the relationships are really critical to have so that each of you can work together to produce that final product that works for the consumer. Um, and, you know, and you, you, as an example, back to new herbs, you're, you're collecting herbs from a, a series of farmers that have been working with you and your, your family business for a long, long time. They know exactly um, but as you mentioned, the times are changing and the, the sulfites or the preservatives or the yeah. preservation techniques are changing and adapting um, along with all the technology that we have to us. Yeah, and it's teamwork, right? It's really me working with my farmers, producers, and knowing that, okay, this is what we need to do to right. get the best quality material given today's technology. Right. Um, and then communicating that to my my customers downstream and them communicating to you as a testing lab so right. that we're all on the same page. Right now, I'll give you a perfect example, right? The reasons we no longer need sulfites for a lot of the herbs that we process is because we're processing them, you know, within, you know, two, three days of harvesting using right. machine drying or other kind of um, techniques that instead of traditional sun drying or when the sun is available, we're going to go get a good dry, right? <laughs> it's a, it's no longer, you know, our, our grandparents or maybe my great grandparents, the way of doing things, you know, pull it out of the ground, put it in the sun and, uh, right. Open pray, yeah. right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But you've carried those traditions on to kind of, uh, adapted them to, to, you know, as safety specs change and needs, uh, um, change, you adapt those to, to match the needs of your clients, which is uh, why New Herbs is still a successful company in this industry. Well, thanks, thanks. Um, what's the one thing that keeps you awake at night, like in the industry when it relates to, in relation to testing and, you know, what people are doing or aren't doing? Like, you're like, my God, why don't more people do this? <laughs> 
Yeah. Why uh, um, can't they sleep? <laughs> I asked this question for someone else the other day, and I, you know, I said that uh, you know when I was a kid, I never had the desire to be a cop or a police officer, but um, justice has always uh, really been a driver for me. Um, I just hate cheaters. I just hate <laughs> hate cheaters uh, in all aspects of politics, in business, or banking, or whatever it is. Uh, it drives me crazy seeing folks um, grow in success by taking shortcuts or cheating. So. Uh, this company brings me lots of joy uh, and fulfillment because we get to, you know, we're not catching cheaters so much, but we are. We, you know, our customers send samples to us. And with COVID, the supply chain has changed quite a bit and everyone's had to find new vendors and requalify vendors. So we've, we've been able to help our clients adapt to the supply chain issues by making sure they're buying the right stuff. So to your question, what keeps me up at night is the people who are wiggling through um, uh, not doing the right thing um, or taking the least um, expensive route or the, the, the bare minimum. Um, you know, the GMP has been out for a long time. They're pretty specific about what we should do and how to do it, but they do leave a little bit of room of um, uh, for ambiguity so people can interpret things and use tricorders and light boxes and things to identify plants. When, and that's basically a test. And the, uh, the FDA says, yeah, that's, that's adequate. And then poor quality materials perpetuated throughout the industry. And, you know, again, the worst thing, um, I said the other day that uh, Alec Baldwin has killed more people than the entire dietary supplement industry. Uh, in you know all of my years of, of playing here, uh, which is about 25 and working in it, and so you know the industry is very safe. The worst things that happen is that, or the least bad worst thing is that the product doesn't work very well, and that's because of folks taking shortcuts in quality control. Um, of course, the, the worst thing that could happen is someone gets sick and dies. But like I said, um, you know that doesn't happen in our industry, and um, hasn't happened uh, for a long, long time. Yeah, and, and especially if we we sort of you know add a word to your statement, legal dietary supplements. Right. right. We're not, not, yes. not drugs masquerading as dietary yeah, supplements. Correct. Right? Like, correct. But even then, no one, there's not a lot of deaths. It's, uh, it, you know, I haven't, I haven't heard about them. So even with the APIs sneaking into garbage products and garbage brands, um, you know, I don't, it's not that uh, it's, it's, a very, it's, a, it's a very safe industry um, pushing very safe products. Um, but still folks are cheating and it drives me crazy because, you know, brands like yourselves and our, and our uh, other best clients are spending the money to do the testing with the right methods uh, and uh, the right technology and their competitors are in some cases are not. And so they can achieve a lower price points on the shelves. They can get their products out faster. And it, that's, that's what keeps me up at night. That, that kind of cheating bothers me to where I want to just, you know, fight for my clients, make sure they have the right results as fast as possible. Yeah. I think, you know, cheating is, you know, willful cheating or is horrible. Right. And I think the other thing that the, what keeps me up at night, right. Is now that, you know, with FISMA, with the food safety modernization act, Mm -hmm. there's a lot more emphasis on microbials. Um, and I feel like we're over treating things. Um, like it's like, Hey, you know, what's your five log reduction plan, right? Like, well, this is a fruit with a, you know, like, you know, 99% of the time, unless you got bad harvesting techniques and it falls on the ground and you pick it off the ground. Right. Microbials isn't an issue, but we're treating everything. And I'm, I'm interested in seeing, you know, what I would like to know, like, you know, one day maybe offline, we'll figure it out, try to do a little, um, guesstimation, uh, is like how many people actually retest potency after sterilization? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Right. Like you hit it with heat or you hit it with steam or whatever, you know, legal method it is, there has to be some degradation, right? Correct. 
Yeah, we have experienced still, that. Yeah, we've experienced that just uh, in the identity of of materials um, that they passed identity first, then they were treated for sterilization, and then, uh, like you mentioned, phytochemical profiles change and no longer match reference materials. And you know, again, back to that relationship that we have with our clients and you with yours, um, we go back to our clients. The clients we talk about it when something fails, and they say, "Well, we treated it with this," and we can say, "Oh, okay, that's probably it." Um, good brands always keep retained, so. Before you treat it, there should be a product or partial portion of that product removed, kept aside, so that you can test it before and then I'll also after and come up to that conclusion without it being some sort of mystery. Um, but yeah, we, there's a lot of uh, treatment on these plants, and that, that absolutely does affect uh, analytical results in the lab. Yeah, which is not surprising at all because if you think about it, like I'll give you an example in the Chinese pharmacopoeia, um, there's a thing called Diwang or Romania. There's raw Romanian and right. there's cook Romania, which right. is, you know, process Romania. Right. Two different chemical constituent profiles, right. as you know. Yeah. And, you know, if you treat it, raw is going to become cooked. I mean, that's every time we've seen it, right? And and that is, does that, you know, that's going to be an issue on your on your label if you put raw Romania and you're actually using cook Romania right. in instance. And I think... You know, you have to know the herbs. You have to know what you're getting into and what you're doing to them and really um, dive, do a deep dive and understand it and work with partners that really understand the herb and herbal material in order to get a quality product out there. I agree 100%. Yeah, you know, back to that, the first question we talked about, the spec, if you give us Romania and you don't tell us it's treated or raw, it may not match because we're going to have to compare it to both raw and and cooked Romani reference materials. But that's the kind of stuff that we need to know. And some players in the industry know that that's important. Some folks just ask for Romani and they get whatever they got for the price point they wanted. They didn't even know if they got raw or cooked and they move mm -hmm. along the industry, um, won't test out correctly and there'll be problems the whole way through. Yeah. Or, or they pay twice for testing. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. They, 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 we forgot they, to tell they you. asked for Romani, you chose raw. And yeah. they weren't clear and it failed and you go, why? And they go back to the vendor and said, hey, you you asked for Romania. My standard Romania is the cooked Romania. Right. right. Go back to Alchemist, go pay for the cooked Romania and do it right. again, right? It's and, a classic. It happens a lot more, more than uh, more than we realize uh, exactly when things fail. You know, a good lab will go back and work with the client and say, why, is, why do we think this is failing? Um, <laughs> not to, you know, test into compliance, but just to get to the bottom of it. Because a lot of times there's an explanation like we just, you know, just uh, discussed. Yeah, I think, you know, testing and compliance is definitely something I, I know you would never do. No. I, I think, you know, but there's a difference between working with your client and that if the client is receptive, now they're going to write on their spec raw Romania or cooked right. Romania, whatever the case, whatever they need. And when they submit the sample next time, they're going to write the right thing in as well. Right. So that's being on the same page. I, I think, you know, alignment's yeah. really key. Yeah. Well, not to take up too much more of your time, but let's uh, any exciting news, uh, Alchemist yeah. news in 2022, and uh, if not, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I've got some uh, some tricks up my lab uh, coats. First thing is we are expanding uh, this year. Uh, we're bringing on metals, uh, pesticides, residual solvents. Uh, those are all validated um, equipment in, trained staff, ready to launch next year. Be a big splash um, and disruption. We'll be uh, also adding microbiological services uh, early next year as well. So full service by maybe Q1, uh, end of Q1. So that's one. Uh, two, um, next generation transparency, something I've been working on for many, many years, seven, uh, to basically try to get my clients to share their results. Uh, be mm -hmm. proud of your lab, be proud of your data. You spend a lot of money on quality, share it like it's a marketing campaign. So that's starting to 
um, take some some um, traction. And then um, lastly, the psychedelic industry is something that cannot be um, ignored. Uh, and Alchemist Labs has a DEA schedule for one, two, three, and four. Um, and so we can actually legally, federally legal test various, um, you know, very, very strong medicinal plants uh, and fungus. And we're starting to work with some interesting legal uh, clients as well to make sure they have the right material. Um, talk about disruption. There's a $20 billion um, Prozac industry that will be disrupted by some mushrooms uh, in the very near future. And we're hoping to be uh, an ancillary part of that. So exciting expansion and exciting branding and exciting another kind of um, field that we're going to be um, helping uh, industry, which um, just all great. So 2022 uh, is going to be a very busy and fast growing year for Alchemist Labs. Wow. Thanks yeah. for sharing. I'm so excited about you become a full service lab and make my life a lot easier. Right. And right. Uh, the psychedelic part about it. Wow. Like, you know, that's yeah. amazing. You know, we definitely yeah. have to touch bases about that and sort of pick your mind about, you know, what yeah. that landscape looks like in relation to the yeah. herbal product industry and the yeah. fun guys yeah. and all the stuff that we, that are sort of at the edges, right. And yeah. we're all coming together as one big happy family. Yeah. Well, you saw the hemp industry came up, made a big splash. Now it kind of calmed down. Now seeing the ingredients start to combine, as we all predicted, you'll start to see your adaptogens and your hemp products put together. And I, I have a feeling that you'll start to see that with the psychedelic industry once they um, find a, a foothold and you'll start to see all the other 2000 medicinal herbs we've been playing with for years, get married to some other new exciting ones um, in the near future. So it's going to be exciting. Great. Can't wait for 2022 then. And uh, thank you, Alon, for your time and have a wonderful holidays. Likewise. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the business of herbs and botanicals, visit newherbs.com. To keep listening to great episodes, be sure to subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, or Spotify, and make sure to give us a rating too. 